You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Surprise. We can trust you, trust in you, the great sovereign of the universe, to have our best interest in your heart, but also the glory of your Son and yourself. And so this morning, as we look into your word, we would ask you to give it to us for what we need to honor you, to love you, to serve you with greater fervor, with better direction, with more sincere focus. And we'll ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So now there'll be a little filler while I settle myself down to actually almost can meditate on this chapter another month or so. Chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, is one that the modern world severely objects to. There's um, quite a bit about submission to women. Amen. <laughs> and I was going to mention that the ashes of men is why it's so difficult for women. And I won't mention any names, but um, actually it, it probably is. Generally speaking, people will follow a decent, a good leader. It's when the leadership is abusive or <laughs> yeah, or Hillary. <laughs> but I repeat myself. That uh, people are difficult time following leadership like that. Telling you? Leadership in the Bible is characterized by a certain attitude first. A loving attitude, a caring for attitude, not a my way or the highway attitude. And unfortunately, when people are put in positions of leadership, there's an infection that comes along with them that actually was endemic in the body to begin with. It's called sin. And that infection, I don't mean to, to, to make it sin less than it is, I'm not equating it to a disease. It's, it is the condition of the human race. And without, it's because of that that leadership can become compromised. Can become, become evil, can become uh, unuseful in the hands of Almighty God. So, as we go through chapter 11, um, there'll be a number of disclaimers, but we're going to hit it hard. We're going to talk exactly about what it says. Uh, the scripture is, under, is not unclear, but, uh, but uh, often we make it so because we have our own ulterior motives. So, as we go through this, questions are allowed, as usual. Uh, Jim's going to answer them. <laughs> Except for things about leadership, about women's submission, we're, we're going to be talking a bit about that. So we're going to start by reading through chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll read through maybe, I'm going to say the first, we'll read through the first 10, bottom, 10 uh, verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, be imitators of me, Paul says, just as I am of Christ. And remember, we talked about that. That actually belongs to chapter 10. But it still can be used as an effective introduction to chapter 11. Now, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. 
Every man who has something on his head while praying and prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying and prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one of the same with those, she is one of the same with her whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of a man. For man, woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Because of our licentious and corrupt culture today also, but also because simply of the general depravity that pervades the human heart, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians has some teachings that are not well received today. And that's an understatement. Indeed, there are many in the supposed Christian church that have rejected them outright, assuming that Paul injected his opinions into the text and that his opinions were not inspired by the Holy Spirit. This puts men or women in charge of deciding what parts of the Bible are inspired and what parts are not. That foolishness. This is a foolish and dangerous exercise that can only lead to confusion and destruction. I want to say at the outset that as we work our way through this section, you must give time for all the teaching to become apparent. We will work through it in a systematic way, just like we always have in Sunday school, and it will take quite a bit of time to parse and study together the 34 verses in this chapter. We will be talking about roles, R-O-L-E-S, and assignments. We will never be talking about superiority and inferiority, except in the case of the sovereign God over his creation. We will, <clears throat> there will be instances when it will sound like I am asserting that men are better than women. Nothing could be further from the truth. There will be times when it sounds like I am hammering on men for their inconsistencies, and indeed that may be so. For in the world today, many of our ills exist because men do not take their roles of responsibility properly. They want to lord it over people. They do not want to serve. They do not want to love. In all things, we will be comparing our behavior to the servant attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and died for us. He to whom the angels themselves owe obedience, the one who created the universe and keeps it operating and who submitted himself to the Father and became obedient unto death for our redemption. He will be our role model. Throughout this section, we will deal with headship, authority, and submission, coverings versus uncoverings of the head of one of the head, the mutual dependence of the sexes upon each other, and the proper roles of men and women in the church. We will be dealing in some cases with principles that are universal, and in other cases with cultural distinctions that can change. I will do my very best to make certain we are clear on which is which. Let it be said at the outset that the principle of submission authority and authority is non-cultural but universal, biblical, and God-ordained. The methods by which men and women communicate to the world, their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, and their adherence to those principles can be markedly different in different cultures with regard to dress and other such appointments. I will always try to make the distinction between these two, principle and culture, in a manner that is clear and concise. 
This chapter does that for us, but we will have to dig into it in order to see that. As can be unfortunate when one attempts to exposit a section of scripture, the vicissitudes of language and didactic teaching can result in a narrative that takes time to develop, and therefore assumptions can be made about statements that are made in the early part of the teachings. For this reason, for those of you who are listening to this teaching online and do not have the opportunity to interject questions, I only ask that you listen to all of it and see if it does not allay some of your concerns that may arise. When statements are made early in the part of the teaching that receive final resolution in a later part of the teaching. This indeed is one of the difficulties that preachers face when they present expository teachings that draw upon past teachings and allude to the consummation of principles in the teaching later on. So for example, as Jim is preaching through Ecclesiastes, there are some things that will be answered later on in the book that he brings up early in the book. Although he's much better at collating it than I am, sometimes it's just the, it's the way preaching is, the way teaching is. You can't, if, if we've decided to give everything to you that 1 Corinthians has in chapter 11, you can bring your tents, your sleeping bags, and food for about a week. Because that's what it would take. The first 16 verses will be those that deal with what I just mentioned. Verses 17 through the end of the chapter deal with and expand upon the Lord's Supper. Remember that in verse 1 of chapter 7, Paul indicates that he is answering questions that some in the Corinthian church had sent to him. Apparently there were concerns about the way the Lord's Supper was being observed. And we will see... We will see how Paul answers them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We will expand the teaching on the Lord's Supper that we started back in chapter 10, verse 16, where Paul broaches the subject. All of God's Word is an adventure, and it is so blessedly useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction that we might live in this world in a manner that glorifies the Father above. On to chapter 11. So again, as I mentioned earlier, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 really belongs in chapter 10. But Paul reminds the Corinthians that he is not seeking his own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So this is kind of a, uh, an introduction as well. In verse 1 of chapter 11, he encourages the Corinthians to be followers of him, even as he follows Christ. And we just talked about that earlier on in our in our in our banter. We several of us were talking about trust and verify. Trust your teachers, but verify. Check the scripture. As I see someone say often, it is good advice. Be a Marine. Trust and verify. He encouraged the Corinthians to be followers of him even as he follows Christ. So it is our responsibility, as it was the Corinthians' responsibility, to look into the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Was what he did what Paul did? Did Paul imitate the Lord Jesus? Because then he's worth imitating. That is good advice all the way down through the ages. Compare the lives of those who are in responsibility over you. If their lives match the Lord Jesus Christ's life, of course they will never match perfectly. But if those over you seek to imitate Jesus and in some fashion have a God-given success, then they are willing to be imitated. Better yet, go straight to the source. Imitate the Lord himself. But in doing this, a better question than what would Jesus do might be, Lord, what would you have me do? This also can be a healthy reminder to those who have responsibility over others, those in positions of leadership, that like it or not, they will be imitated. How many times have you had your children imitate you? Oops. 
I gotta quit doing that. I, I worked with a guy years and years ago who had a, I worked in the mills, so you can imagine what the language was like. It, it was like fire coming out of people's mouths often. And um, it was funny when his child was two. But when he was 12, it was no longer funny because the child did not have the discernment, if you want to use that word lightly, that he did as to when to use some of those words. And so this was back in the day, now I don't seem like that anymore. I hear these words in all company. But when I was a young man, you only spoke some of those words in the presence of other men. That's just the way it was, as though that was somehow sanctified speaking. <laughs> So, in, in fact, we will be imitated. If you are not truly seeking to be like the Lord Jesus Christ by the grace of God, those imitations can be uh, difficult. Be candid about your failures and your weaknesses if you're in leadership. Confess your sins to others. You're no better than any other child of God. In fact, you have been given a great responsibility. Take it seriously. Always be in the business of checking your motives and being accountable to others for them. The word leader should be far down in your vocabulary if you're in positions of responsibility. You are a servant. Whether you're a father or a husband or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a politician, you're a servant. The bigger, the farther up the, the ladder you are, you just get to be a servant to more people at once. That's what it means. If you have been given a position of responsibility, that is exactly what it means. If you have, seek not to be first, seek to be last. Care for the brethren, love them, teach them, be the one whom God uses to meet their needs as much as he uses humans to do that. That's what Paul is saying when he says, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. When we look at the life of Christ, how hard is that to imitate? It's impossible. It's impossible. But for the Holy Spirit, there would be even a modicum of imitation going on in this world. But as the Holy Spirit indwells the believers, the elect, they begin slowly but surely, grace to grace, sanctification by sanctification, to begin imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the work of the Lord, and the work of God goes on in the world. So he says, be imitators of me, just as I am also of Christ. That's the key modifier of the first statement. Be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. That means we get to compare. That means it's right to compare. That means it's important to compare. And that means in the right way, it's important to bring to the attention of those in leadership when they are not imitating Christ. Do we see that in the modern church today? People up on the stage who are not imitating Christ. I, I think there's going to be so many. It's so sad. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And I think there's going to be plenty who are going to go, but, 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 at least for a time. But they'll know. Any questions, comments about verse 1? I know that was quite a long introduction, but chapter 11 
is a daunting chapter, at least for me. Verse 2, now he says, now, I praise you, because you remember me and everything, you hold firmly to the traditions, just as I delivered them to you. Paul, here he's going to encourage the Corinthians by praising them as they continue to remember the things that he taught them, and hold firmly and faithfully to the teachings that he gave them, just as they were given. Apparently the Corinthians, for, the, for, for much of their Christian lives, were holding faithfully to the traditions and teachings that he taught them in the year and a half that he was there, and that other apostles and teachers gave to them. The basic problem with the Corinthian church was not necessarily doctrine, but morals, and the, not theology, but living out that theology. Um, their walk wasn't matching their talk in many areas, and we see that in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Okay, we see it in all the chapters. We can often spout the correct biblical principle relating to some issue of life, but the question others would have for us is, are we living it? And so it wasn't correct. They, were, they remembered Paul's teaching. They just, in many cases, were not living it. They knew it was wrong to sue one another, but they did it anyway. Well, yeah, I know it's wrong, but... How many times have we heard that? Well, I know it's wrong, but... How could you modify something that's wrong? I've done it. We've all done it. The sec this section from verse 3 to verse 16 is a difficult one, and especially so in light of the modern church, the modern attempt to move women into positions of pastoral leadership. We can take this to one extreme and come to a conclusion that women are inferior to men, or we can take it to another extreme and conclude that all of it simply belongs to a bygone era, and we should just look at it for its historical information and ignore it in the application to our daily lives. And indeed, that's what many modern churches, quote-unquote, do. They ignore it. And so they, they damage the women in their churches by putting them in positions that God never intended them to be in. That is not love. That is not service. That is blasphemy. It is difficult to look at and watch and have it happen. The truth is actually something about it. Is, it has historical, local historical application, but it also has a broader application to us today. The difficulty can be in deciding which parts of this teaching are to be taken locally and which part are to be taken as teaching for all time. So now he says, I praise you because you remember me and everything. You hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Any questions or comments about verse 2? Verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Look at that sandwiches with man being the head of a woman, in between Christ being the head of man, and God being the head of Christ, the Father being the head of Christ. Before we get into this section, I would like to get some parameters, set some parameters at the outset. First of all, regarding salvation, regarding usefulness, regarding worth, regarding value, at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Colossians 3.11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. 
We were all given the same Holy Spirit. His salvation in value, in uniqueness, in preciousness to God, every person is equal. I have here dead equal, but I decided not to use that word. So forget me, you strike the word dead for me from your minds. Thank you very much. There are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. At the foot of the cross, in the eyes of the Father, in the eyes of the Son, in the eyes of the Holy Spirit, we're all equal. Slaves, free, and there's lots of slaves in this world still. Slave, free, Jew, Greek, barbarian, Scythian, male, female, equal. Our roles and responsibilities, however, differ. The difference does not confer any superiority or inferiority. There is an order that God has designed into the universe. That order has physical laws that give us gravity and light and other such things, but there is also an order in the relationships that people have to one another. When we reject that order, we get ourselves into trouble. We sin. There is an order in authority and submission. And in this verse, constructed especially the way it is, we see that Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of a woman, and finally, God is the head of Christ. Now, does anybody here think that God and Christ are not equal? Good. Good. No hands. I didn't want to be one of those guys. God and Christ are equal. Absolutely equal. Of course they are, and as heirs of the eternity that God has given us, we are essentially the equal of Christ. Not in Godhood, not in deity, but we have been we will our bodies will be like him when we when, when he comes and return and we return to the Father. Go to the Father, I should say. We will be like him, it says in first John. That is like him in activity and in use. But not in a second essence, not in deity, not in who he is, not in what he is. I want to mix that up. We will reign with him, but he is our head. And, the, and in the economy that the Father has created, the Father is the head of Christ. In the same way, the man is the head of the woman. It's not talking about marriage, by the way, this is a general statement. It is also important to know that the man is the head of the woman, but not in the same exact way as Christ is the head of every man. Because Christ is the second person of the sovereign trinity. God incarnate, his relation to the human race is substantially different than the relationship of each human to another. Second, Christ is the head of the woman, and then she can come directly to him in prayer. She does not need to come through a man. And in many ancient societies, this was taught, women were put, they were generally better than a good dog, but not much. Dogs were useful. Christianity has elevated the woman to where she belongs, right alongside the man. Many, many ancient uh, civilizations and religions had a horrible view of woman. Uh, they still do today. So, Christ is the head of the woman that she can come into a prayer. She need not come from a man. Her relationship with God is direct, as is every believer's. Third, Christ in his humanity is subordinate to the Father. Their deity is equal. And so these relationships as stated in verse 3 have significant similarities, but also some dissimilarities. That is true in every relationship. It is also true whenever we set up metaphors and analogies. They always fail at some point. For further review, as we look at this section, there are several other relevant areas of Scripture that deal with this very same concept.
First Peter chapter two. Excuse me, First Peter chapter three, verse one. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word about the behavior of their wives. First Timothy two, eleven through fourteen. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Clearly, then, God has order in relationships. He has an order in the way we relate to one another. This order cannot be dismissed, nor can it be dispensed with, except at great peril. The fact is, in life, you will often find that there are women who are better teachers than men. But God has decided that in the church, men must be the teachers. And that can be, as an aside, an excellent challenge to a husband to strive to be someone who can actually teach a smarter life, a more biblically apt wife. It happens. He has decided that there is an order of submissiveness and that women are to be submissive to men. I would suggest that men make this simple by being kind, the kind of leaders that the Lord Jesus Christ was. Gentle, kind, approachable, genuinely interested, and caring for those that they lead and serve. This then is the principle stated very simple by Paul. It's not cultural, it is not time-bound, it is eternal. In each culture there are ways that these eternal truths can be demonstrated. And we will see a difference. There is a way that this could be demonstrated in Corinth. We will be talking about the cultural aspect of demonstrating these principles in Corinth. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble when we don't differentiate between what is eternal and what is temporal. Any questions about verse 2? Comments? And you other teachers in here, if I miss something, bring it up. And I will have this. Verse 4. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. In the Grecian culture of Paul's day, one of the ways that this was demonstrated was that women wore head coverings and men did not in Hellenistic Greece. Of course, in the Jewish culture, men often did wear head coverings, and that would carry through as well. Neither Paul nor the other apostles ever counseled the Jewish men in the Church of Jerusalem to remove their head coverings and give them to their wives. I, I did a little bit more research on that, and it looks like maybe some of that came up later in history. The head coverings of Jewish men wore. This was then cultural and subject to the customs of the day. The custom in Greece was for men who were praying and prophesying to be certain that their head was uncovered in Greece. Every man has something on his head while praying and prophesying disgraces his head. He's signifying something to the church, to the believers, and to the unbelievers in the day and in the city and in the culture that wasn't true. Any comments or questions? Respond. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one of the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Now this was an interesting study. Did you know feminism is a new? I'm talking about radical. What is Russian about Feminazis. Feminazis. I remember the first time I heard that term. It's a good thing I didn't have coffee in my mouth. I would have ruined my pickup. <laughs> 
in ancient Rome, I need to get ahead of myself, so I'm going to go ahead and go through my text here, but, but feminism has had its roots in all cultures, as has male chauvinism, uh, and they're both a misapplication of the truth. Lest we misunderstand the object of this verse here, Paul is referring to the activities of believers in ministry as they would appear before the Lord and before the public. In this particular case, it's essential, essential that a clear testimony be communicated. The custom in Corinth was for women to wear head coverings when they pray or prophesy. This would have been one of the ways in ancient Greece, oh, by the way, you notice it, women could pray and prophesy on equal par with men. Paul never questions that. He never questions that. The custom in Corinth was for women to wear those. This would have been one of the ways in ancient Greece where the distinctness of the roles of men and women were kept separate. In the Greco-Roman culture of the day, when women shaved their heads, they were trying to look like a man. I dare say it's not much different today. No, when I say shaving, I mean shaving. Um, they wanted... It, it, it's my personal preference, but I don't want to impose that anymore. The point is that the sexes should not try to look like the other sex. They are distinct and different, and wonderful in their own right. Men, yes. Yes, I was going to get to that, but thank you since you brought it up. Uh, one of the most common ways to identify a prostitute in ancient Greek culture was the shape of head. So, can you imagine what unbelievers and believers alike would think if they saw a woman uncovered? That's the other thing the prostitutes did, they didn't cover their heads. Or shame, praying and prophesying. They would assume that that was probably a, a prophet, a prophetess of the goddess Artemis, or Aphrodite, one of those. That's what the assumption. The point is, that this, by the way, though, is that the sexes should not try to look like the other sex. Men should attempt to and be encouraged to look like men, and women should be encouraged to look like women. We shouldn't be able to tell the difference, and we shouldn't have to work at it, don't you think? Maybe, um, I, I don't believe that's an old-fashioned uh, cultural thing. That's that's just the way God wanted it. He, he said, in the beginning, He created it. Male and female created He them. Not male and almost male, or male and just like male, but male and female, He created them. There's been such a sea change in our culture that we cannot all recognize what this actually means. And I must say that today the gender roles are being blurred to the detriment of society. The point is men should look like men, and women should look like women, and it should be relatively easy to tell the difference. In a culture, in that culture, when a woman did not cover her head, she was not just trying to look like a man. She was rejecting her femaleness and her origin. She was rejecting what God had created. She was rejecting her uniqueness. Today it's not uncommon for women to have shorter haircuts. Does this mean that she is rejecting what God has created? Not necessarily. This is the totality of what she is trying to communicate through the way she presents herself. It's the same with men. To limit this to the hair or one aspect of the way a person presents them is inappropriate. Again, the point is that it should be easy to tell the difference. When you walk into a fast food, a fast food store, it's nice to know that the workers wear a uniform so you know who to ask for it. This is some, although simplistic, who then represents the concept. There was a difference between men and women. God created a difference. Please maintain that difference, he said, Jess. Oh, I guess you're going to touch on it, but in the Roman culture, the women talk about the feminists. They were competing with men in the athletic games. Yes. And they were brazen about trying to outdo men. If I might. 
Jess was talking about how the women, when they would shave their heads and do those things, they were competing with the men. I'll develop that later on, but we'll go ahead and talk about it a little bit here. They, they wanted men's jobs. They wanted to be in the gladiators. But because of the fact that the human, the, the body design of men is different than the body design of women, and men are structurally bigger and have larger musculature, it's just the way they're made, they don't do very well. Now, you know that's happening in the world today? It's somewhere, it's somewhere I think it's in Australia. Some guy decided he's a girl. And guess what? He can lift more weight than his counterpart women. Like a lot more. You know, when you see some of these some of these contests where people run a mile or they lift weight, the difference is in milliseconds and in ounces. Not in this. 32 pounds. 64 pounds more than the second place. And guess what? The women are starting to object. And I say more power to them. Object. It's silly. It, <sighs> unbelievably silly. Thank you, Thomas. Yes. He is not superior. He was designed differently. He was designed with different equipment for running and moving, etc. His musculature is bigger. It's obvious. Now, does that mean that there are women who run in the marathons today that I could outrun? Forget it. They think we'd be by seven hours in a two-hour marathon. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. There's going to be inequality throughout the spectrum. But generally speaking, I just read this morning about a Kenyan who just finished a 26-mile marathon in 2 hours and 25 seconds. That's 4 minutes and 13 seconds per mile. Do you know how fast that is? He burned up his shoes. Okay, now I'm going. The nearest female competitor will be quite a ways behind that, but still far beyond what any of us is here. Well, maybe there's some runners in here that can do it. I mean, <laughs> you're safe if you're running against me. The point is that it, the misbehavior, when you get back to this, the misbehavior to just talk about competing with men comes in a package. When we have false ideas, false beliefs, unbiblical beliefs, it's not like we have all of our ducks in a row, we have one wrong belief. No, that's not how that's not how false teaching and false beliefs work. They're usually packages. Not only do they want their jobs, but they left their homes, they left their children, they became promiscuous. Because that's what that lifestyle produces. When the decision to no longer honor the unique way God creation occurs in your life, you begin to slowly, maybe, or maybe quickly, act out in ways that are unbiblical, wicked, and sinful, all over the spectrum. You don't just run faster than guys. You don't just lift more weight than they do. But you do it looking like one, looking like a man, without any regard for your uniqueness. You no longer want to support your family. You leave home. Those are what happened. That's what this was happening. We think we have a, a monopoly on stupidness in the 21st century. We don't. People have been stupid since about 13 seconds after creation. Well, I don't know how long Adam and Eve lasted. 
but I get the impression it wasn't an awful lot of time. But, but that's just a personal, that's just a personal interjection into the text. Okay, I'm getting way off. Thank you, Justin, for bringing that up. If they were they were changing, they were rejecting the way God created them. And in that rejection, they were beginning to do things that God would never have them do. So anyway, any other questions or comments about verse 5? We'll finish up with verse 6. For if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. Might as well go the full route, Paul says, and go ahead and finish what it looks like to be a prostitute. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. In this culture, in the early days of the church, only prostitutes or extreme feminists would shave their heads. These were women who had rejected their origin and any submission responsibilities they had as well. In the early Greek world, many women were demanding to be treated just like men. They were asserting their independence by abandoning their husbands in their homes. They were choosing not to care for their children. This was, it was widespread. It was widespread. They would live with other men, demand men's jobs, and discard all signs of femininity. Is that something today? This is 21 centuries, 20 centuries ago. They wore men's clothing and hairstyles. In this culture, the abandonment of the head covering that was a sign was a sign this was the type of woman she was. If she abandoned her head covering or covered her short, then the society knew what she was. Whether she wanted to have the society think that or not, the society would assume that she was a feminist, an extreme feminist, and or a prostitute, and or a prostitute. This would have been a mark of infamy in the church, and Paul, through hyperbole, counsels these women that if they're going to reject their origin and reject their God-given responsibilities and roles, they should go the whole way and look like prostitutes, for that's what they were at tonight. Now I'll have some posse, and remember I told you earlier, we're going to stop here, because it's quarter after, and anybody listening to this might think, boy, you can be against women. Nope, couldn't be further from the truth. I care for and love, hopefully, all people that God has brought in my life. I can't, I really can't think of it like I hate. Really, even, even that one that you're all thinking about. <laughs> really can't. But since I can't finish 1 Corinthians all the way through the chapter in verse 16, where this section ends, people may be left with that assumption, not to be further from the truth. But the fact is, God created us male and female. And then he assigned different responsibilities to the male and the female. And when we reject those, we reject the order that God has created. We reject the beauty that can come when men and women live out their roles and responsibilities in a loving, concerned relationship with each other, with the body, with the body of believers, and with the world as we are assigned to show by the way we dress, by the way we act, by the way we talk, and we shouldn't be talking different in a middle lunchroom than we do in church on Sunday morning, should we? That's the same thing. That's rejecting the role that God has assigned for men. And one of those would have men with So, as we go through this, let's keep those concepts in mind. At the foot of the cross, all of us are equal. But we have different responsibilities. We have different roles. And when we blur those, we reject the created order. We reject the creator himself. And I would see the modern church get back to the order that God has created. Honor him and bring the true gospel to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that 
in your wisdom and in your sovereignty, you created men and women different. You love them the same. You respond to them the same. You save them the same. You maintain that salvation the same. You are sovereign. But you create them to reflect different attributes of you. And so as we study this section out, help us to be faithful to the text, unafraid to pronounce to the world and to ourselves what it is that you desire and demand from us as we live our lives to honor you. But even more importantly than that, Lord, that you give us the grace to do that. For without the grace of the Holy Spirit, without the empowering of you in our lives, we cannot do this. We thank you that you have made that investment in us and that you will continue. You who have created us, you, have, you will work out our salvation. You will maintain us. And you will bring to yourself the glory that is due your name. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.